Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here today. My name is Alan Patton, and today is the first Sunday of our new summer series titled Unusable. In the coming weeks, you'll be seeing a lot of different people up here on stage. There'll be some elders, some folks like myself and Dave Humiston who speak once or twice a year. You'll be seeing some new faces, some old friends. It's going to be an exciting series. So here's a question for you today. Have you ever wished that you could be someone else? Have you ever wished that? Because I know I have, and I'm guessing most of you have too. I mean, anyone who has ever played air guitar has wished they were someone else, right? <laughs> of course, little kids do it all the time. They pretend to be superheroes or Disney princesses, sometimes even dressing up like Spider-Man, Captain America, Elsa from Frozen. Now, truth be told, I was still dressing up like Han Solo from Star Wars well into my early 20s. <laughs> Some of you remember this. Okay. <laughs> but you know, even as we do get older, middle school, high school, and we start to deal with self-esteem issues and trying to figure out where we fit in, well, we keep doing the same thing, right? We look at other people who appear to be smarter or funnier, more popular, prettier, better at sports, thinner, or in the case of today's story, taller, and secretly wish that we could be them. Of course, by that age, we realize that no amount of wishing is going to magically transform us into someone else. And so often we'll try what seems to be the next best thing, reinventing ourselves. Now, I remember in high school, I got a call from my friend Bob. He said, get over here quick, I have something to show you. So I rush to his house, walk inside, and there he stands, dressed from head to toe, exactly like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> this was 1977, mind you. He had on the patterned silk shirt, high-waisted polyester pants, platform shoes. It looked like he'd used an entire can of hairspray on his head. And he looks at me and says, just like this, meet the new Bob. And I'm standing there looking at him thinking, I kind of prefer the old Bob. Well, he proceeds to open his closet, and inside is hanger after hanger of an entirely new disco wardrobe. Now, I haven't seen Bob in decades, but I'm guessing he is well past his disco phase. At least, I hope he is. But that's not surprising, right? Because when we make changes like that, they're typically superficial and short-lived. But real change, true, deep, lasting change, change of our hearts, change that's transformative, that's the kind of change that comes from the Lord. Well, this summer, we're going to be looking at characters from the Bible who, to conventional wisdom, would appear to be unusable, and some of them because of the condition of their hearts. A thief, an adulteress, a liar, a prostitute, a murderer. And yet, God does use those people in spite of their flaws and their failures. But what I love so much about the story we're going to be looking at today is that God not only uses this person, someone who nearly everyone else says is the lowest of the low. But in addition to using him, God also radically and miraculously transforms his heart. Will you join me as we open in prayer and ask God's blessing?
Lord, would you speak to us this morning through this story of incredible transformation? You are the God who heals our hurts, you break our chains, you change our hearts. Strengthen us through the power of your spirit and use us, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Well, today we'll be looking at the story of Zacchaeus from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. It's the only place in the Bible the story is found, although it's certainly familiar to you if you grew up attending Sunday school or VBS. Chances are one of your teachers may have shared it as a flannel graph lesson. Remember those? But more likely, you were taught a catchy tune about a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Some of you are already humming it to yourselves, I can see. But the story of Zacchaeus is so much more than a flannel graph lesson or a children's song. It's filled with deep spiritual truth and ends with perhaps one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. So follow along with me as we read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there, by the name of Zacch- there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And now the verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So three things we'll be looking at today. First, as the story unfolds, it's Zacchaeus who's seeking after Jesus. But then the narrative flips. And we see that Jesus is actually the one seeking Zacchaeus. And then finally, as a result of all of this seeking, Jesus changes Zacchaeus' heart, literally. The story begins with Jesus passing through the city of Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Historians believe that over 200,000 people would have been making a similar journey. This would be Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem in a little more than a week. He would be crucified. Living in Jericho is a man named Zacchaeus, and we're told two things about him right off the bat. He's a tax collector, and he's rich. Now, to put this in context, at this time in history, the Jewish people are under the rule of the Roman Empire, and as such, they're required to pay taxes to a government who, by and large, was their oppressor. The Romans handed out this job of tax collector, almost like a franchise being awarded to the highest bidder, in this case, Zacchaeus. Well, this job had no hourly wage or salary, but any taxes that Zacchaeus was able to collect above the amount that was required by Rome, well, all of that money would be his to keep. As you can imagine, it opened the door for a lot of abuse. 
tax collectors could basically make up their own rules. For example, one day you might be taxed for the wagon you were pushing through town, and the next day there'd be a new tax, not only for the wagon, but for each of the four wheels. It was crazy. And for someone like Zacchaeus, a Jew who was lining his pockets at the expense of his own people, well, to them, he would have been viewed as a traitor. And to make matters worse, we're told that he was the chief tax collector in all of Jericho, the only time in scripture we find this term. Think of it as a giant pyramid scheme with Rome on the top, Zacchaeus under Rome, and then all the regional tax collectors under him. It's no wonder he was rich. Extortion, cheating, overtaxing, fraud, all of those things were commonplace. If you think getting called in for an IRS audit is terrifying now, imagine if the agent sitting across from you was working on commission. It's scary stuff. So yes, Zacchaeus was rich, but that was a two-edged sword. He was regarded by his own people as a vile sinner, a religious outcast, someone forbidden from entering the synagogue, unable to sacrifice or worship in the temple. He was shunned, ignored, despised, seen as worthless, lumped together with thieves, murderers, and lepers, unusable. But in spite of all this, Zacchaeus was a seeker. He wanted to see Jesus and went to considerable lengths to do so. The third thing we're told about him is he was short in stature. And because of this, he knew he was not going to be able to see past the large crowds that were congregating around the Lord. So he runs ahead of the crowd and climbs up a sycamore tree to make sure he has a good view. Understand this, for a Middle Eastern man at this time and place in history to hitch up his tunic and go running down the center of the street, that's something that wasn't done. It would have been looked upon as demeaning, undignified, unbecoming of someone in Zacchaeus's position. And to add insult to injury, grown men in this culture certainly didn't climb up trees. That's something a child would do. And yet, somehow in this story, it seems appropriate. Because Jesus himself once said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All of these things speak to Zacchaeus's determination. He didn't care what the crowd thought. His only concern was encountering Jesus. There's a lot we're not told here, though. For example, why was Jesus so intent on seeing Jesus? I didn't say Zacchaeus, right? Maybe it was simple curiosity. Word had certainly spread about Jesus and his miracles, healing the sick, raising people from the dead, restoring sight to the blind. Some even whispered that Jesus was the long-awaited promised Messiah. Or perhaps Zacchaeus had heard Jesus's reputation, that Jesus was someone who reached out to sinners and tax collectors, to those on the fringes of society, the types of people others shied away from, Jesus apparently leaned into. And maybe, just maybe, against all hope, Zacchaeus thought if he could see Jesus, something in his life might change. He may have even sensed a deep need within himself, an emptiness that all his wealth and material possessions had never been able to fill. Whatever the reasons, 
Zacchaeus sought after Jesus at all cost, ignoring embarrassment, humiliation, possibly even physical danger from the crowd. He climbed up that tree to see Jesus. So by way of application, a question for us. What are you willing to do to see Jesus? Perhaps like Zacchaeus, you're not really even sure who Jesus is. Are you willing to take a single step today toward that path of discovery? I would love to talk to you, Pastor Gary, Pastor Zach, any of the elders. Be a seeker. Talk to someone. Or maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but you know there are things in your life that are keeping him at arm's length. Whether it's a struggle with a certain sin you've been unable to have victory over, maybe the busyness of life, or just the slow drifting away from where you once were. What are you willing to do to truly see Jesus again? Well, as we continue on, we see that Zacchaeus is not the only seeker in the story. Turns out Jesus was also seeking him. And as Jesus pauses at that sycamore tree, he stops, looks up, and says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That single sentence is filled with so much truth, starting with the very first word, Zacchaeus. Jesus calls him by name. And that must have made Zacchaeus react in a number of ways. First of all, how in the world does Jesus know who I am? Has that ever happened to you? Someone that you don't know calls you by name? It can be unnerving. Back in the 90s, we used to have name tag stickers here at the church. I still have a few of them stuck to the inside cover of one of my old Bibles. Some of you remember. Often I would leave church, go to a store, and a clerk, after I had finished, would say, have a nice day, Alan. What? How do you know my name? And then I realized I'm still wearing my name tag. It would have been a similar shock to Zacchaeus, who, by the way, wasn't wearing a name tag. He might have even wondered if Jesus somehow supernaturally knows my name, what else does he know about me? But by the same token, there's something comforting about being called by name. At Celebrate Recovery, we have a certain way of introducing ourselves. It goes like this. Hello, I am a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who struggles with fill in the blank, in my case, anxiety. My name is Alan. And at that point, everyone in the group says, hello, Alan. It really makes you feel not only welcomed, but also accepted. So let's try it. I'm a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who struggles with anxiety. My name is Alan. See, I feel better already. But can you see the effect that that would have had on Zacchaeus? Jesus knows my name. And yet, as shocked as he may have been about that, imagine his surprise when Jesus follows that up with, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. In Middle Eastern culture, sharing a meal with someone was a big deal. Just think of how that would have made Zacchaeus feel. Jesus wants to hang out with me. We've already said that tax collectors were despised. Zacchaeus probably didn't get very many dinner invitations from his neighbors. I imagine he was a pretty lonely guy, much of it of his own making. But here's Jesus wanting to fellowship with him and share a meal. Zacchaeus was so used to being hated and overlooked 
and ignored, and yet Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. It's the only place in Scripture that we see Jesus do this, inviting himself into someone else's home. But Jesus was truly much more interested in getting into Zacchaeus' heart than he was his house. And the same holds true for our hearts. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus knew everything there was to know about Zacchaeus, the good and the bad, just like he knows all the hidden, dark junk in every one of our hearts. And still, he knocks. He knows all the mistakes I've made. He knows all about the people I've hurt. He knows all about the gifts he's given me that I've put back on the shelf. He knows all about the harsh words that I've said to my wife. He knows all about the fears that I've tried to mask, all the hypocritical ways that I've tried to live my life, all of the detours and shortcuts I've taken that just went round and round and round. Jesus knows all our stuff, and still he calls our name. The lie that Satan wants us to believe is, you're too far gone. It's too late for you. God could never use someone like you. It's not true. Father Gregory Boyle has carried on a 30-year ministry to the gangs of South Central LA. He's written several books. I recommend them. And he has seen God heal and change countless hardened hearts and lives in ways that are nothing short of miraculous. This is what he tells the gang members he ministers to. In God's eyes, you are so much more than the worst thing you've ever done. In Zacchaeus' response to this unexpected acceptance and invitation, well, he nearly falls out of that tree. It says, he hurried down and received Jesus joyfully. So another question. Is Jesus calling you today? And if so, will you hear his voice? and respond joyfully, as Zacchaeus did. One of our greatest human longings is to be fully known and fully seen. Jesus knows you intimately and calls you by name. Well, as we continue reading, we see that the crowd does not share in Zacchaeus' joy. In fact, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, although we're not told specifically who these people are, their comment sounds very similar to ones we've heard before from the Pharisees and religious leaders, probably a fair number of townspeople too, ones who had looked down their noses at Zacchaeus all of those years. Whoever they were, they were upset that Jesus would choose to hang out with someone like Zacchaeus, who was clearly a sinner. They were quick to judge him while neglecting to look inwardly in themselves, in their own sin. And that's an easy trap to fall into, to forget that throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus having a heart and an eye for the outcasts, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the poor, the marginalized. Maybe we need to rethink our opinions on the places where Jesus is found. There's a Christian band I listen to called The Lost Dogs. Let me share with you a few of their lyrics from a song called 
That's where Jesus is. That's Jesus in the homeless faces with the junkies in their living hell. That's Jesus with the drunks and in the lonely places, the rest homes, the prison cells. That's where Jesus is, where we ought to be. That's where Jesus works inside you and me. To the folks with AIDS and the suffering kids, that's where Jesus hangs. That's where Jesus is. We are all outcasts. Jesus came to give us something we don't deserve, but need more than anything else. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. And finally, we see that through this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus' heart is changed. I think it's the most important part of the story, even though it gets left out of the children's song. We're not given any details about what this dinner conversation was like or exactly what Jesus might have said to bring about such a profound change in Zacchaeus, but that's exactly what happens. Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Similar restitution required by the law would have been 20%, but Zacchaeus goes over and above, pledging 400%. Just one true, deep encounter with the Son of God, and Zacchaeus' heart is changed. What was once so important to him, money, doesn't seem like such a big deal anymore. He willingly, freely, even joyfully, declares that he is going to make things right with everyone. And the change that happens in Zacchaeus, a man who so many others would have written off as unusable, that change would be used as a powerful testimony. In addition to the poor who would be blessed by his generosity, imagine the conversations that would follow in Jericho in the weeks to come. Maybe they would have went something like this. Hey, Mordecai, Guess who just came to my house? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus? Boy, they. No, 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 you don't understand. He brought me 400 pieces of silver, four times the amount that he overtaxed me. 400 pieces of silver? What was that all about? I really have no idea, but people are saying it might be because he met that man, Jesus. The changes that Jesus brought to Zacchaeus not only would have made people stand up and take notice, but perhaps caused them to want the same thing for themselves. Just a few days ago, Johnny Gies told me that when he was a little boy and heard the story of Zacchaeus, his very first reaction was to say, I want Jesus to come to my house. Maybe people in Jericho were feeling the same thing. And just so there's no doubt about the sincerity of Zacchaeus' change of heart, Jesus himself says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now I love how Jesus points out that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. You would think that's obvious, he's Jewish. But imagine all of the hateful comments that this tax collector would have endured over the years. You are a disgrace to your people. 
You're a traitor, giving our hard-earned money over to the Romans. Why, you're not even allowed to worship in the synagogue. You know what, Zacchaeus? You're not really even a Jew. But Jesus, the Messiah, God incarnate, looks at Zacchaeus and sees a true son of Abraham. And now finally, verse 10. One of the most hopeful and encouraging verses in all of Scripture. It's just 13 monosyllabic words, but they say so much. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospels are filled with this type of imagery, that of a seeking Savior. The parable of the lost coin, the prodigal son, the shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep to find the one who is lost. And all that seeking started long ago in the Garden of Eden. His sin entered the world, and Adam and Eve, in their shame and brokenness, tried to hide from the Lord. There he was in the garden, seeking them out, calling to them, where are you? That's why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost, and in doing so, change our hearts. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and seemingly in an instant, he changes from a greedy tax collector into a follower of Christ. Maybe change like that seems impossible to you, but I've seen it happen time and again. The title of this sermon, I Was But Now, is inspired by a line in the hymn Amazing Grace by John Newton. I once was lost, but now am found. Some of you are familiar with John Newton's story, a slave ship captain whose life was changed when he heard the call of Jesus. He went on to become a strong supporter of the abolitionist movement, but he's probably best known for writing the hymn Amazing Grace. Like Zacchaeus, his encounter with the Lord miraculously transformed him from I was to but now because of Jesus. Well, I'd like to close today with a final story of transformation. It's one that's close to my heart, and I want to thank my friend Scott Lozier for letting me share this. I met Scott about five years ago at Celebrate Recovery. If you don't know what CR is, it's a faith-based recovery program that meets at the chapel every Monday night at 6.30. It's for people with all types of issues, not just substance abuse, as I've already mentioned. For me, it's helped with my anxiety. Well, Scott and I were part of a 12-step study group with five other men. Step study is something that happens outside of the Monday night meeting. It's an intense nine to 10-month study and happens in a small gender-specific group. It involves a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, and a lot of soul-searching. But in the end, it can bring real healing to our hurts and habits and hang-ups. Well, recently Scott told me that he had found his old step-study workbook, and he shared with me what he had written at the top of a page on the very first night of 12-step study over five years ago. Not sure if you can read this, but he wrote two things. Both of the statements came from a place of hopelessness. The first one was, what a joke. And the second one was, who are these people? He wrote this as a joke because after a number of rehab and recovery programs, nothing had stuck or made a lasting impression on him. 
He wrote, who are these people? Because group members struggling with anxiety or codependency seemed far removed from the alcohol abuse that he was dealing with. But in the weeks and months that followed, as Scott saw changes happening in the other members of the group, he began to feel something unexpected. Hope. Hope, the very thing that I believe caused Zacchaeus to climb up that tree. And as he looked at our group leader, Mario, still working the program after 30 years of sobriety, well, Scott saw what might be possible for him. And so now, five years later, looking back at what he wrote in that book that night, who are these people? Scott would tell you that those people are now some of his dearest and deepest and most trusted friends. And as far as what a joke, well, just the opposite. Because this August, Scott will be celebrating five years of sobriety. Five years. I was, but now, because of Jesus. I've asked Johnny to come and close this out with a song. If you just stay seated and listen quietly, but let the Lord speak to you. It's a song about God's amazing love, his amazing mercy, and of course, his amazing grace. Theologian Frederick Buechner says, God's grace means something like this. It's God saying to us, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. Will you reach out for that gift of grace today? It has the power to transform us, sometimes in small but profound ways, and other times beyond our wildest dreams. Johnny. Love 
just yet oh so kind what I deserve is not what I find what more could I say about it my God is love yes I know my God is love yes I Thank you, Alan. What a moving and great start to our summer series. Amen. You know, the Lord has a powerful way of taking a message, a singular voice in a room, and through the Holy Spirit, speaking it directly to our hearts as if it's just for us. It's an amazing thing. But I also suspect this morning that there are a few of you that this really was for you, this message, that what you're walking through, what you're carrying, perhaps that no one knows, or maybe a very small amount of people that you needed this message. And so I want to pray for all of us, but pray for you specifically. Join me as we close in prayer. Oh God, we, we thank you for this reminder of hope to the outcast, God. And Lord, in, in many ways, the message of Zacchaeus is to each one of us, as Alan was so vulnerable in sharing of himself and of Scott that we've all been in that place where we needed to recognize our own hypocrisy and our own need for a Savior. But Lord, I, I just, in my spirit, Lord, know that there are some here today that are carrying a particular load, and for that, they needed this message. Lord, would your Holy Spirit minister to them today? As we go from here, would you make us a people that are sensitive to, to noticing those that maybe aren't saying so, verbally, but with their body language or with the way that they answer a question, Lord, that we would be sensitive to come alongside of them, to pray for whatever it is they might be going through. That your word spoken today, that the scripture from Luke 19 in particular, Lord, would, would percolate it, that it would uh, continue to just minister to our hearts and bear fruit. God, we thank you for the start to this series. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.